0: Welcome to Julius Bear's True Connections podcast, where we hear from entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and financial experts on their views on today's world. In this edition, Callum Brewster speaks with Mags McPherson, founder and non-executive director of Intelligent Office, about her journey as an entrepreneur and how she is helping the next generation of entrepreneurs.
1: Delighted to be here with Mags McPherson. Good morning, Mags. Good
0: morning, Callum. I'm
1: very well, thank you. Good. And it's lovely to be in Edinburgh for a change with my guests. So delighted to have you here, Mags. You've obviously had a very varied and interesting career, but I was going to maybe start first and foremost by asking you, entrepreneurship has various definitions, and I feel the word entrepreneur has changed massively on how people perceive that today. I'm just curious on what entrepreneurship means to you.
0: So a really good question. Going back many years, I think people maybe considered if to be an entrepreneur, you had to be an Alan Sugar or a Richard Branson. So you had to have built a kind of global brand or be a very public face. I think for years I didn't really consider myself an entrepreneur. So if I think what does entrepreneurship mean and what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? For me, I guess if I look back It's about taking an idea, and that idea needn't necessarily be original, but taking an idea and just making it better than somebody else has done or doing the best you can with it. And by best, I would say building a business that you're immensely proud of in every respect, whether it's the product or the service that you provide, whether it's how you manage your teams, the loyalty that you engender from those teams, just the kind of DNA of the business. So for me, entrepreneurship's about taking something and just doing a brilliant job with it and doing as best you can and being as innovative as you can through that journey, but also, as well as innovation, picking the best that you see from other businesses, other organisations, other countries and adopting all of those. So for me I guess it's just about being lateral and just trying to be as innovative and driving success as much as you can.
1: And seeing those characteristics you've touched on, so you use words motivation, I can sense from you enthusiasm, possibly a real need for learning. What characteristics did you have early on in your career you felt drove you, made you stand out from the crowd? What was it about you?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure It did stand out from the crowd actually when I was young, but probably early characteristics where I grew up on a very small farm, which my mum and dad ran and my sister and I worked on the farm. So my earliest memories are of a huge amount of hard work, physical hard work. So we were out feeding the animals, bringing in crops. But in line with that hard work, we were treated exactly the same way as all of the casual workers on the farm. So we didn't get pocket money, but we got paid for the work that we did. So everything that we did around the house or everything that we did in the farm, mum kept a note of it. And at the end of the week, we got our pay. And that was from as far back as I can remember. So hard work is probably, again, going back to the question about being an entrepreneur, hard work is the mainstay, I think. If you don't work hard, then you won't be successful. So I think that probably hard work is one of the first things. And then watching... Mum and Dad, run the farm and just understanding in the simplest of terms that you bought something, you made it better or bigger and then you sold it and that's what life was about and that's what put meals on the table and put clothes on our back. So that was from a very young age. And Mags, when you started your career, when did you
1: start feeling that you were more an entrepreneur, a leader, a business creator versus being an employee? Was there a moment in time or did it just evolve itself?
0: I don't think there was a moment in time as such. In my early 20s, I changed jobs for the first four years of working. I had no idea what I wanted to do and I thought if I keep changing I'll find something that I enjoy. I then got a job with a boss, it was in Glasgow at the time, and I was put in a position where he showed huge faith in me and huge confidence in what he believed I could achieve So he gave me opportunities that I didn't really feel I merited at the time, so he promoted me, he then gave me more responsibility, he gave me responsibility in corporate disciplines that I had had no experience in in the past, and gave me enough lead that I wasn't going to choke myself, and he took a watchful eye over me, but gave me lots of autonomy. And I found that I absolutely thrived in that environment. You know, I love the new challenges. I loved learning new things. I found I became quite innovative and creative in, in how I was approaching those jobs. And that really changed my career. So it changed my attitude to work. I found I was becoming quite successful in my career. And on the back of that, I guess I questioned myself as to, could I do more? So it was at that point I was actually headhunted and I moved to London. And for me, that was a big move. You know, having grown up in a farm in the middle of Scotland, it was quite a change. And I thought it's going to be interesting if I can be successful somewhere else. And then my next move was in a completely different discipline. So it was in a different industry. It was in the city. And again, I thought, well, maybe I've just been successful in my career because I understand the industry I work in. So let's try and see if the skills I have are transferable. So I moved to another organisation, a business called Williams Lee in, in London, and ran their operations for a few years and found that indeed the skills I did have were transferable and I was equally successful in that organisation.
1: It's funny, through some of the other podcasts we've done, I can think of the one with Jen Prozek, who said something very similar, someone believing in her. And we were hosting an event with Wealthy Her on Monday evening, and we were talking about women in business. One of the things that came through quite clearly was women not having necessarily the confidence, and therefore having that belief from someone else, I would imagine, is really important. When you were going through that journey yourself, moving to London, different discipline, as a woman in business, were the challenges similar to what they are today, or did you find them different? Was that sharing of any experience then as a woman in business in London?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, through my career, I'm not conscious of ever having experienced a glass ceiling. And maybe I didn't, I didn't notice it, I don't think so. To be honest, I didn't think about it, I just got on with my job. I loved my job, I was successful, and I really didn't think about barriers that were being put in my way. I never ever considered anything at work, a challenge I came across was because I was a woman. The thought never crossed my mind I just thought if it's a challenge in business, then you find a way to overcome that challenge or, or get around it. But I think the confidence thing is interesting because I, th- I think often women in business do have less confidence than men. And I think having a boss that creates these opportunities for you, gives you chances, encourages you and you then realise yourself what you're able to do is absolutely career and personally defining. And I think if you've gone through that experience and and somebody's given you those opportunities, you then become very focused on doing that for other people. And that may be part of the moment of thinking, well, actually, I might quite like to do this myself because then I have more control over giving other people opportunities. And that's been something that since then has been massively important to me.
1: And of course, that links nicely then to the work you've done with the Prince's Trust and the development of young people. Maybe you want to share a little bit more about the work you've done and supported around about young people and development of them.
0: Yeah, I was introduced to the Princess Trust probably over 10 years ago by a friend of mine, a guy called James Thompson, who owns Prestonfield House in Edinburgh. And Prestonfield House is a lovely hotel, and James does and has for many years done a massive amount of work with the Trust. And I, very wrongly and slightly shamefully, will admit that before I got involved with the Trust... My view of somebody who was homeless on the street was, you can work, you can wash dishes, you can pick up litter. There are loads of jobs that you can do that aren't skilled jobs. And if you apply yourself, you'll get a job and you can work. I then went to a Princess Trust event with James and I heard some of the stories of the young people. And the heartfelt honesty, the experiences that they'd gone through what had happened in their life to put them into a position such as being homeless or being in care. There was a world out there I knew nothing of. I didn't know it existed because I hadn't really been sheltered from it. I just hadn't really come across it firsthand. And that was an amazing experience. And from then I became involved in the work with the Trust. So I got involved at the Scottish Council, as it was called at the time, for a few years. Ran some fundraising events But then at that stage of my life, I was working for myself. So my business was taking off. I was spending more time in London and I stepped back from the work of the Trust. And then when we sold the business to the management team five years ago, I got back involved. And then I took over as chair of the Princess Trust in Scotland for a couple of years. I love the work they do. It's incredible. And to see the impact and the effect that they have on young people's lives is truly remarkable. And do you feel it links to
1: what you said earlier about your boss believing in you and giving you an opportunity? Is the Princess Trust and these young people similar? Do you have a passion for ensuring everyone has an equal opportunity?
0: Absolutely. All of the work of the Trust is based on what has happened to you in the past and what's gone before and what you've done in the past is immaterial. From the day you walk into a Princess Trust centre, it's all about what lies ahead for you and that is the core of it and that I think is what makes them successful nothing in the past matters. It's all about what is in your future and what they can do to help you achieve something with your life and do something that you perhaps never thought was possible.
1: If we're talking about opportunity, I suppose one of the great opportunities for you was Intelligent Office and the story there and what happened around about the management buyout. Would that be your catalyst where you actually saw real change in your career and what you were able to do?
0: Yeah, I guess the biggest change in my career. So I went from London to work in the States. So I decided back in 98, I think, that I wanted to leave London and I want to come back to Scotland and I wanted to work for myself. That was my plan. And I had thought about setting up a recruitment business for some reason. I don't know why, but that was in my mind. So I resigned from my role in London and the guy who ran the company said, oh, we don't want you to leave. What job do you want to do? And I said, no, no, I'm going back to Scotland and working in a firm that was principally city based. They didn't really get anything that was outside the M25. That was all a bit of a mystery to them. So he said, do you want to go to Asia? We have a joint venture in Asia. Do you want to go to the States? And I said, no, 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 I'm going back to Scotland. So I resigned. I worked six months notice. And just before I finished, they asked me if I wanted to go to New York to do a project for a joint venture company we had in the States. So I spoke to the chief exec, who was a lady at the time, and agreed that I would go out for six weeks and do some consultancy for them. So I did that. So I went to New York and after about two and a half weeks, she asked me if I would stay and run the business on the East Coast. So I ended up staying for two years. I said I would stay six months initially. So I ended up staying for two years. Again, that was quite a defining moment for me because I'd left a job in London where we had the same client base as New York, very similar services. But the culture in the states was so different. and the culture around people and opportunity, the belief that everything is a meritocracy, the desire of really junior staff to get on. They're all trying to do their MBAs in the evening. You know we had loads of staff. We had about a thousand staff and they kind of between Boston, New York, and Washington. And you would go into a site and visit and somebody would be delivering mail in an investment bank. And the first thing they would say to you is, oh, what business are we bidding for? You know, what are we are going to win next, Mags? Where's the business going? They had such an appetite for the business, for learning. They were so ambitious. And I absolutely loved it. Loved it. And the organization that I worked for in the States really embraced that. And their employee communications was brilliant, their employee engagement, their motivation was just fabulous. And I adored it. And I love the fact that everyone in that business believed they could run the business one day.
1: So your education from your parents about working hard and getting the money at the end of the week and hard works about everything would have just fit perfectly in that American culture then?
0: It did, because they do work hard. They love my accent. Yeah, (laughs) Americans love a Scottish accent because everybody's Scottish, obviously, and they can tell you where their history came from. Yeah, it was great. They do work very hard. And those bits through my life, so, you know, working as a little kid on the farm, the opportunity I was given in my 20s by a boss who really stretched me. And then I think going to London and realising that I could be successful in an environment that I didn't know anything about, and an industry I didn't really know about, And then going to the States and just seeing the difference culturally and what can be achieved. That probably made me think, actually, I should try and do something for myself. And one of the reasons I wanted to work for myself was I really wanted to take all of the things I'd seen done well. You know, so when I was in Glasgow in my 20s, the guy I worked for did some great things. When I worked in London, the business I worked for, Williams Lee, had some brilliant attributes. When I went to the States, I worked for a business called BBS. And their whole team engagement and how they manage people and the motivation was phenomenal. And I thought, you know, I really haven't seen an organization where all of these great things are pulled together. And I thought, well, why don't you try and do that? So came back. And tell us about that. You came back and what did you do? I came back and I was too chicken to start a business so I wanted to start a business but it was just I was 35 at the time and I thought it's just too big a move and I didn't actually know how to do it. I had no idea how I would go about it so I spoke to a headhunter who presented a role to me which was a kind of management buy-in to a little printing company, a little digital printing company. So I thought, well, actually, I could do that. I got some equity, but it was a job. So there was a trading business and I could use that as a base to build. And I had the right to buy the guy who had originally owned it. So I went down that route and I took over a tiny printing company called DocuServe in an industrial estate in the east side of Edinburgh and then sorted that out and then used that to build an outsourcing business. And in 2005, we changed the name to Intelligent Office.
1: Uh And that went on quite a journey over from initiation. Indeed, yes.
0: It started off as being the aim was that we would provide outsourced document management services to businesses in Scotland. And our first client was a law firm, our second client was a law firm, and our third client was a law firm. And I thought, well, that's interesting. There's maybe a little niche here. I clearly didn't have a brilliant business plan at the beginning, so I was going to do anything for anybody. So I then thought, well, maybe I should focus. So I did a bit of research. No one in the legal sector in the UK was providing the services that we provided. So we then decided that we would sell the printing company. So the the management team brought the printing company. I think that was about 2006. And we reinvested the proceeds and started in London. Our first contract in London was in 2007. And I had a colleague I'd worked with in the States. And she joined me about a year after I started the business. She came back to the UK and she was based in the South. So she joined and she ran the business in the South and I ran it in Scotland. And the management buyout happened 2011 2014. I to think there, yeah, 5 years ago passing me.
1: And how stressful was all of that? Was that a high point or was it a moment of stress?
0: Selling a business is always stressful, but it was absolutely a high point, yeah. We'd had two offers previously, so one from a huge UK corporate probably about three years prior to that and that had fallen through and that was really stressful because I'd never gone through that process before. We then decided that we would try and sell the business or look for private equity backing. So we appointed corporate finance advisors. We went through a process, chose a private equity house in London, went through diligence and they changed their terms and we decided to walk away That was stressful because you stop running the business and you start running a diligence and a private equity process. Then when that happened, Rachel, who we'd since made chief exec of the business and I'd moved into a role as chairman, said to me, why don't I try and lead a management buyout, your proper MBO, so that gives you what you want from the business? She said, I'll do that. We'll raise private equity as long as you stay involved. So I said, well, that would be great. So Rachel then led a management buyout that happened five years ago and I stayed on as a non-exec. So it was far less stressful than the first two processes because we had had two full starts. So we knew what to expect. It was just a brilliant experience because it satisfied me. I was 50 that year and I had made the decision that by the time I was 50, I would like the option to either be able to step back from the business and do less step away if I wanted to or possibly sell and I wanted to make sure that the business was being run in a way I was comfortable with and that it was going to be safe and secure without me being involved so Rachel and I worked on that and the management team for probably two years prior to my 50th year so the MBO came six months before my 50th birthday so that was great because it released capital for me she wanted me to stay involved so I stayed on as a non-exec and I'm still a shareholder But the best thing was that a much enlarged management team got more equity out of the process. So for me, that team had helped me build the business. So I led it, but they helped me build it and it wouldn't have been successful had it not been for them. And a number of them had equity at that point, but it gave them far more. So it realised some capital for them and it gave them the chance to have a much bigger slice of the pie and for me that was by far the best outcome that there could ever have been so the people that helped me build the business then had the chance and those roles were then reversed I then became a non-exec I have over the last five years hopefully helped them build a far bigger business now so. And
1: was there ever a point earlier on that you visualized yourself being in that situation?
0: When I was working? Yeah. No never.
1: So you never had a plan you just found opportunity?
0: No I didn't I never thought. Well, I want to work for my, in my twenties. The thought didn't cross my mind. I actually had. I was married in my twenties for a fairly short period of time, and we actually did have a delicatessen. So we had a business. My husband wanted it, so we did it together. I still worked, but I worked in it in the evenings and weekends. And sadly, that failed. And that's a big lesson in life when that happens. That's a big dent to confidence and a realization that's a pretty hard start a business but clearly it didn't put me off trying again.
1: It's funny when I speak to entrepreneurs and I hear similar stories and I sense similar characteristics, but the one word I never hear anyone describe themselves as is resilient. And when I listen to you, Mags, I just hear someone that's really resilient, which is probably driven from that education from a youngster about hard working and getting your head down and facing into whatever is presented to you at the time. Is that fair? Is that yeah, how you yeah, believe you Yeah, absolutely.
0: Are? Whether you're working or whether you've started a business, life is full of knocks and bashes and dents and not everyone wants you to be successful. I think in the States they do. I think in the UK that's very different. And you have to just power through. You need to believe in what you're doing. You need to believe in the people around you. You need to tell them that they're doing a good job. You need to encourage them. You need to support them and it doesn't matter what you're faced with, then you will get through it. An intelligent office is a really difficult business to run. It's really challenging. We focus on the legal sector and providing services to lawyers is really demanding, very demanding. They're very exacting, and they are very happy to tell you if they're not happy. So you have to have broad shoulders and thick skin and know that if something has gone wrong, you work as a team to fix it, And if something hasn't gone wrong and you're just getting a kicking for no apparent reason at all, you just have to shake yourself down and bounce back.
1: Great. And you're now working with your stepson, Callum. Have you shared with him some of the traits and characteristics that your parents taught you? And how did you react to that? And how did you find that relationship when you're working in business together?
0: Well, it's really interesting. When Callum was at university, he wanted to go on an adventure when he finished uni and it was a bit of a wild adventure so he and two of his friends were going to drive a Land Rover, an ancient Land Rover from Edinburgh to Cape Town so knowing that his father would not be very impressed with this whole plan I was the conduit for all this information so he would tell me and then I'd tell his dad so anyway we thought he would never get organised, he'd shown no signs of organisation or planning at all and suddenly this trip started to take shape and it was organised and it was planned and off he went. And probably during the planning of that and then when Callum came back, that's when our relationship started to change or form into a different relationship. And he had a year off, did three amazing things. He drove to Cape Town. He then, we have a boat and it was going from Scotland to the Caribbean. He then said, could I do the crossing? So he then sailed the Atlantic on the boat And then he drove from the States, from the West Coast of the States, back to the East Coast. So we were in touch this whole time and I just was living vicariously through all these adventures, never having had a gap year. I don't think they existed when I was at that age. So he came back and he was applying for jobs in London. So I was asking him, he'd gone to recruitment companies. So one day I said to him, what were you asked at the interview? And he said, oh, I was asked which business person I most admire or respect I can't remember what the word was and I said to him what did you say did you see Richard Branson did you see Alan Sugar All the Dyson who did you say he said no no I said you and I said what you said what and he said I said you I can't believe that why and he said I just think what you've done and you know your whole career and what you've done is amazing so clearly I must have shared my career with him but unknowingly I hadn't realized that and that is the biggest compliment I've ever had in my life from anybody I was truly amazed and truly delighted so a few years ago Callum wanted to work for himself and interestingly I had never had that thought and from the day he left uni that's what he wanted which I find quite fascinating so he got a job in a marketing role in a tech fintech in Edinburgh did that for a while and three years ago he came to me and said I've got an idea for a business so I said okay so it was secure motorbike storage. So motorbike theft is colossal in Edinburgh. So he wanted to open a garage where people had a PIN code, like Pure Jim was his example, and they could safely store their motorbike. So I asked him the questions that I would ask anybody if I was thinking about investing in their business. I remember I was sitting in bed and I was doing an email to him one evening and I said, well, here's the things that I would want to know if I was going to back you. And I woke up the next morning with an email with answers to every question. So he'd already done all of the research. So I was really impressed with his planning and his preparation. So we went for dinner and we agreed that I would back him. And we then negotiated my equity stake. And off he went. So he started the business and it took him ages to find property. And then as soon as he found property, he started marketing and the garages were full. And it's been a really successful business. He discovered though that it was going to be really difficult to scale so initially he wanted to do it throughout the UK and he decided it was going to be quite hard to scale so he came up with another idea so he came to me with a second idea and I sat and I listened to him and I thought this is a really good idea, it's a really good idea and it's something that could be global, it's not been done before and that's pretty unusual. So he's 28. So he came to when he was 27 with this idea. So for somebody, me, who has never had an original idea in their life, not once, I've just looked at other things and thought I can maybe improve on that or I can make it better. I was quite fascinated. So Callum and I spoke at the end of last year and I said, I will raise a little bit of money for you if you want to build a website and try and get started and he said no no I want to build a website myself I'll just do it my spare time and I'll see if I can get it going and then we'll decide so he did that and then at the beginning of this year we had another chat and we decided that we would give it a go so on the 1st of May I invested in the spring and the 1st of May he started on it full-time.
1: Fantastic and going from strength to strength I believe.
0: It is indeed yep it's called Occupied and it's a marketplace to match people with ...surplus commercial space with people that are looking for part-time space. So at the moment, we've raised some seed investment. The platform's up and running. He's got listings. Initially, we're focusing on kitchens in London. So the whole concept of the dark kitchen, which has come out of nowhere... And the massive growth in street food and food delivery market has created an opportunity. So Occupied allows people, so for example, somebody who has a cafe in London, which closes at four o'clock, they advertise their cafe from maybe five o'clock till midnight during the weekend, maybe Saturdays and Sundays. And if I want to start doing cooking for the home delivery market or I want to do a pop-up restaurant, then I use their space in the evenings.
1: Is that what you mean by dark kitchen? Because my idea of dark kitchen is usually what my cooking looks like. It looks like I've cooked in the dark. Is that Well, (laughs)
0: yeah. You're maybe not a good customer for us then. You're not going to start doing pop-up restaurants by the sounds of it. So dark kitchens are something slightly different. So a dark kitchen, to us, would be like a hotel is to Airbnb. So dark kitchens, as they're described in the press our businesses that are actually building kitchens for people to share, to cook food for the home delivery market. What we're doing is we're opening up a whole latent supply of property that already exists and could be used for the same purpose. Oh, quite disruptive then, very different, yeah. It is quite different, yeah, and it's going to help. So for small businesses, it's not just restricted to kitchens, so beauty salons that have got treatment rooms that they maybe don't use two days of the week or a hairdresser that has a spare chair, they want to rent it out or a joiner who has a shed and they have some excess space and they want to rent... That space out.
1: So really, Mags, you're part of the entrepreneurial network at Julius Baer and we utilise the Conduit Club and yourself and Callum have attended a number of events there and environment and sustainability comes up often, but exactly the model that you're developing with Callum is about reusing and utilising fully. And we're hearing a lot of that, particularly in relation to cars, where at some point in the future, maybe none of us all own a car, we'll just actually utilise vehicles is that something that's also on yours and Callan's mind how you actually think about the environment sustainability utilizing resources in a different way
0: yeah absolutely and it's core to the business so the sharing economy has come out of nowhere so 15 years ago it virtually didn't exist it probably didn't exist actually and it's now absolutely prevalent in people's minds in particular in the minds of millennials who don't want waste so the sharing economy has appeared And if you look at the impact that Occupied will have, we believe on tens of thousands of small businesses is helping them survive. So small businesses are struggling. The high street is struggling. So small businesses are struggling with the cost of labour continually increasing business rates, competition. So if they can capitalise on their space when they're not using it to give them An additional income stream for doing absolutely nothing for a cost that they've already incurred, their fixed cost, then it's going to help the business survival rate. And equally, people that want to start businesses, one of the biggest barriers to starting a business is the capital expense of starting. If you want a catering business, you have to find a premises, pay a deposit, commit to the lease, fit it out. Or if you're a beautician, you can't afford to have a shop, you can't afford to buy all the equipment and all the products. So this enables people to try starting their business without that huge capital commitment. So we believe it will absolutely encourage business startups, give people the chance. They get going and then they might share the space for a period of time and think, "Okay, I'm now ready to commit and take my own property. I think it's got a huge impact. So in some ways, what
1: you're developing through Occupied is almost a real life incubator of community and network to encourage entrepreneurial spirit and sharing of ideas and best practice. Yeah. That'd be and at the
0: moment, because we're just starting, the principle is just all about sharing the space. But we believe over time we'll be able to do other things to help businesses. So we'll try and help them with buying powers as we grow. And as our book becomes bigger of people that are engaged in the community. So as well as having the website with people listing spaces and people wanting to find spaces. We want to build a user community that can help each other. So if somebody has a question about starting or they've got a concern. They can ask the community and somebody there will help them. So sharing ideas and knowledge and experience as well as sharing the physical space.
1: Well, a great story. Uh, I'm sure people listening will be asking to contact you and Callum to discuss how they could maybe help and get involved. I've got one last question. It's been great speaking to you, but it was a nice way to start thinking about you as a girl on the farm with your parents working hard. And if you were speaking to yourself way back then, what would you tell yourself? What would you say to yourself as a girl if you knew then what you know now?
0: I would tell myself that there's a big wide world out there that You have to have, I probably was a reasonably confident wee child, I think I was pretty chatty. You have to be confident and you have to open your mind to everyone that you meet and every opportunity that you're given and you should look at it and embrace it because that's where things happen, that's where opportunities lie. You meet somebody, you may thought you have nothing in common with them, they can create an opportunity for you or open a door that you may never have realised existed And I think being open is the best thing in the world and build a network. For me, that's the most important thing in building a business, my career as well, but also particularly building the business, is having a network. As I said to Callum, a very early stage, 99.9% of people who've started businesses want to help somebody else. And my guess is 99% of people that start businesses never actually ask for help. And I think that's so important. And the power of a network and the power of asking people just their opinion for guidance, for help is absolutely massive. And the other wee bit of advice that I would give myself as a child is the only place, I was terrible at English though, the only place that you find success before work is in the dictionary. A
1: great way to finish. Max, it has been really great listening to you and hearing all about your story. Thank you for your time
0: today. Thank you very much for asking me. I've loved it. Thank you for listening, and please do keep in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and at juliasbear.com.